0: Welcome to Grand Canyon University's Teaching Tips, a survey of educational improvement. And now, here are the hosts of today's Teaching Tips, Joshua Sugata and Mark Trollinger.
1: And we are back. Welcome to Teaching Tips. My name is Joshua Sugata.
2: And I'm Mark Trollinger.
1: Mark, I'm kind of fearful of being upstaged today by our guest. And I mean that literally. We normally, you know, like I like to insert those little like um, little singing things that I do, a little jingle ish. Yes. Things you know, like you could be like, I went to store, and I'll be like, store, yeah. Well, um, I don't know if you know this or not, Mark, but I'm not vocally trained,
2: I did not know this. This
1: may come as a shocker to many people, but the next, our next guest, I'm excited because Kendra came highly recommended, yes. And I'm gonna let her say her whole name and talk about herself and a little of why she's here, but but she's got we keep talking, you know, on our breaks, and and she's got a lot of little hidden talents, and so I'm hoping we could talk about that in regards to faculty. So, Kendra. Kendra, please introduce yourself, and welcome to the show.
0: Thank you so much. I'm proud to be here. Hi, everybody. I'm Dr. Kendra Stewart-Nelson, and I am here to talk with you. First off, I'm under the weather, so if my voice goes up and down, there's a reason for that. But I'm very excited to be here. Yeah. Thank you so mm-hmm. much for having me.
1: We're excited to have yeah. you here because, like I said, you came highly recommended by many but We've never met. So Mark and I just met you. But it feels like it was such a long time ago, doesn't yes. Like we, we've it been does. connected. So so we're, we're excited because you serve the community in many ways here. So when you, you mentioned you have your doctorate, but we've learned you also have other degrees. So we'll, yes. we'll dive into that a little bit. But also you have musical uh, background. That was my first reference. You are vocalist. <laughs> I am. And we're in the studios. And so unfortunately, you're not feeling well, but you're here anyway. And we really appreciate that. So You already have your doctorate. Yes. But you decided... As Mark pointed out, you were a lifelong learner. Yes. I am, definitely. my parents always told me I'm a lifelong failure. So this is no. in, <laughs> totally <laughs> therapy for Josh. So, I'm so here. So you're a lifelong learner. What did you go back and get a, another degree in?
0: So I got a master's in leadership. Um, I've always been one to be interested in, in kind of being at the table of leadership, making decisions, kind of creating the culture. Awesome. And so I wanted to kind of dive into that, that lane and see what that was about because i've had a private practice before being an entrepreneur so i just wanted something different i'm a licensed professional counselor so i'm I'm more so in the lane of counseling which Ah, is what i do here in the professional counseling program teach online
1: that's great maybe that's why we get along so well
0: i think
2: so
1: she's she's really got me to talk a lot more just on the walk in here (laughs) she's like let's go into those issues so she
0: understands all the time (laughs)
1: Well, I'm glad you. And then also, I think the leadership degree is very appropriate, as you are you currently serve on the faculty advisory board. Yes, AKA Fab. 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 Faculty advisory board. Not every institution has one per se. So, could you tell us a little about what Fab is?
0: So, we're more so like the professional development sector of Grand Canyon University. Um, I serve as a member. I've been serving for about a year. Every year, we. Kind of have to let it go, but and they have other people to come in on board. But we really focus on professional development, trying to get our faculty more engaged, sharing, collaborating, um, learning new things. I mean, personal and professional growth go together. It's really important that we establish that here, so we can continue to grow and be successful. Learn new things, learn what works, you know, revise what doesn't, and kind right. of keep going from there.
2: And so it's made up faculty, yes, and they creating programs and let's say workshops or whatever to help other faculty right?
0: absolutely workshops conferences we give opportunities for faculty to share what they've learned if they go out of town we can provide a stipend for you you know let us know mm-hmm. what you learn bring it back to us so we can kind of go from there and spread the word
1: so peer-to-peer is what i mean it's a yes. faculty-owned culture that you help create facilitate and just to give growth opportunities to peers. Exactly. And to collaborate. That, that's excellent. And that's so, a
2: good way also for the, the college to listen to faculty, you know, take their suggestions, and better the community.
1: Yeah, so yeah. it gives them a voice, ownership. And then also, so Mark uh, mentioned the workshop. I also understand there's discussion forums and things that you might put up online to yes. where you might be the facilitator for.
0: Um, I do quite a few, probably like two to three per year. Like the last one was on persistence and accountability, Mm -hmm. trying to create that culture of compassion, which is one of the topics that I'll talk about today. Mm -hmm. We have a lot of power in the classroom, either online and on campus. And so we have to make sure that we set those standards and those guidelines from the very beginning and create that culture of compassion. So that's kind of one of the topics. Another one was creating charisma in the Mm -hmm. online environment. Being online, we're not face to face. So a lot of that responsibility does fall on us. We have to kind of create that culture again, of compassion, of being charismatic, which is a charismatic leadership. I learned that mm-hmm. in the program. And that's more about allowing yourself to kind of be humble and in the role of serving and, and servantship, and making sure that you have a personality that people want to drawn to, Mm -hmm. that you're kind of, you know, being there for them, being supportive, Mm -hmm. and that they want to engage with you and be successful.
1: And do you specialize in the online or
0: traditional both? Where Actually, I came in uh, as adjunct. So I worked on campus. Okay. And then I moved to cohort and now I'm on online. So I've been here for about five years. So Mm -hmm. you've you've
1: experienced, okay, so the yeah traditional would be, I guess you could say, maybe regular business hours, so to speak, Mm -hmm. during the day. Cohort is usually a four-hour block in the evening Yes, and still on on ground, but then you have the online modality where you, you've ventured into as well. So it could literally, you know, any time mm-hmm. uh, and location. So you have a, a wide variety. Is there one, I'm just curious, like not that it matters, but do you have a preference for one over the other? Are they all the same as far as you as a person? Not saying one's better mm-hmm. and if you like this one, you're not as good as me.
0: Um, You know, I like them all, and yeah. I say that because I can – kind of display different skills of mine. When you're in cohort, of course, it's adult learners. They're all about learning, learning about the profession. It's more engaging with them. Mm Um, and more expertise, like it's really like knowledge driven. They right. really want to like learn, but it also gives me the ability and the, <laughs> like the opportunity to, to go out and kind of show what I can do and be in front of people. Right. Whereas online, I'm kind of behind the screen, but I can kind of think more. You know, I, I love writing. I'm also a writer. Um, of I've course, done why wouldn't Freelance writing. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and I absolutely love that. I, hopefully I can start working on my book soon, but... You know, I I can think more behind the screen. I can kind of interpret my feelings more, if that makes sense. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Put more thought behind it. And
2: And you mentioned being charismatic. Just wondering, do you have to approach that differently in those three different settings?
0: You know, not really, just because being charismatic is something that is a part of who I am. Um, I really pride on the fact of being authentic in the classroom. And if there's areas for improvement, of course, professional development is always there. We have that available. The opportunity is always, you know, there for us. But I think with charisma, it's just one of my strong points of who I am. Um, it's, I've always been this way since I was younger. I've always had friends of all different shapes, sizes, colors. Um, even today, I have friends of all different shapes, sizes, and colors. And, you know, I. If people are drawn to me because, you know, I have the heart for people, then I'm all for it.
1: That's excellent. And and I'm hoping, too, you know, we're talking about this whole, the charisma and and being true to who you are. You know, yourself and authentic. And I think that's important because one thing Mark and I have talked about, you know, over the history of the podcast, we we try to give faculty tools, physical tools, literal tools that they can use in their classroom. And sometimes when we try something new… We're like, oh, that didn't go 100% exactly how I wanted, so I'm going to ditch it. I'm just going to mm-hmm. throw it out and not try it. And we're saying, no, we want to encourage that. So take ownership of it. And one thing, if if someone's never been to the Grand Canyon campus here uh, in Phoenix, it is a student-owned culture. Yes. And I love how you are a part of the Faculty Advisory Board where GC is investing And faculty, and you're investing in faculty, to where you're trying to say, hey, let's make this a faculty-owned culture. Mm -hmm. Let's encourage it." Because I know that's a struggle for a lot of faculty. And Mark and I have talked about this in multiple episodes of stopping what we're doing and just remembering we need to be constantly improving ourselves. We might teach the same course over and over again, but there are ways to do it better. There's ways to integrate new practices. And, you know, if you go to a conference, why not share that with your colleagues and peers? It's not a competition. It's a collaboration. I agree. And so I love I love the fact that you, you've been a part of that for you said about a year now.
0: About a year. I've been doing like work for Fab for probably two to three years. I mean, if you think about it, faculty, we are the core of the university. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're what attracts the students to us. And if we can provide that educational experience for them, then they'll want to come back. You know, they'll want to mm-hmm. keep completing their classes and eventually graduate and they're just more excited and motivated to to persevere through you know mm-hmm. any challenge that they may have. So faculty are really important here. So the more we grow, the better the the overall campus becomes.
2: Yeah, and you had also mentioned showing compassion with students and some other episodes we've talked about being learner centered in your class, you know, working with with students. One of the challenges though might be is is how do you show compassion with those students but still hold them accountable?
0: Yeah, that can be a struggle and and yeah. a challenge because we being faith-based university, we're all about giving grace when we need to. I know as a student myself, when I was sick, I had to tell my professor, you know, I can't get this in. Um, will you work with me? And mm-hmm. thankfully, he did. And I always remember that being a student. That if it were me, and I needed an extra, you know, day or two to get an assignment in, then I would want my professor to work with me. One thing with um, compassion in the classroom is really to make sure that we do work with our students, that we encourage them to communicate from day one that we set those guidelines and expectations and we make them very, very clear, make them solid, make them consistent, and that they can come to us and be fully honest, completely honest about what they're going through as long as they're really trying. Of course, we don't want to um, give them an opportunity to keep doing it over and over again, because as a student, you do have a, a a professional responsibility in being a student. So that's important. But setting those guidelines and setting those boundaries becomes the core of, of compassion and keeping that in the classroom.
1: Yeah. So you're saying there's only so many times a student can claim their grandfather died in one class period. Oh, of
0: course. <laughs> but, oh, of course. But, or someone else dying. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, death is a part of, oh, yeah. of a situation. We've all experienced that. But at the same time, we have to know that we're a student and we have a responsibility to kind of get back into gear as soon as we can. Mm-hmm. The first couple of days, yeah, definitely. You know, grief is grief. But as a student, you kind of have to keep going and just mm-hmm. push your way yeah. through.
1: I like that emphasis because it does translate to everyday life, too, in the, in the professional work world. You know, we talk about compassion. I, th- I don't think anyone wants to work in a fear-based environment where you mess up one time and, you know, they're showing you the door because we are going to mess up. And so... Uh, one of the courses I teach is servant leadership, and we try to, you know, we try to talk about that because if you're integrating compassion and also forgiveness as being a part of leadership, you know, forgiving those who either serve with you or on your team, uh, because we are going to mess up. But uh, there's not a lot of organizations that recognize that up front and say, "Hey, you, when you mess up, here's what we're going to do. Right? Here, here's how we're going to walk beside you instead of, oh, it was nice working with you. Thanks. Have a mm-hmm. great life. Because when you put fear there. You don't know what you're walking into. And so I, I, I do like that approach as far as, uh, you know, in the classroom and having the compassion. What are some tools that you've used or what are some ways to integrate that either online or uh, um, like I'm looking for tangibles. So if, we, if, you know, someone's listening, they go, okay, you guys are talking about compassion. That's great. But mm-hmm. wh- what can they do to show compassion?
0: Well, I know for online, it's about verbiage. You can really talk at someone instead of to them. Mm-hmm behind the screen it's just kind of in your tone what you say all caps is another verbage you want to stay away from but what you can do is if they're going through something you can encourage communication you can also say stay encouraged if there's anything that you need let me know I always try and encourage that communication because unless I know, I can't work with them. And if you right. kind of set that guideline from the very beginning, that communication is, is important. Up front. Up front. Don't tell from me the after, very three, beginning. Three, yeah. From the very beginning, because then I can work with you and letting them know that I am there for them. I think a lot of compassion is about care, it's about sensitivity, concern, it's about humility. It's really about just having a heart for the profession. We want our students to succeed, so I think we need to kind of portray that in the classroom. I think um, another tip could be to do like a, a one day or a two day pass for all students. Now, for me, I don't say that for my students. I really stress the communication because I really want them to be that you know that student that really excels mm. and, and is mm. resilient through whatever challenge may come. But in the end, I will work with them. But you can always do that. You can always say, well, in this course, you know, I can do a one-day grace time or a two-day grace period. Mm-hmm. I also do partial late points. I know GCU policy is about 10% per day, but it's to the teacher discretion. So mm-hmm. it's really dependent on the teacher. But I, I still will deduct some points maybe after that second day, mm-hmm. um, just to show that accountability, because you don't want to miss out on that. Right. We can show compassion, but we also want, them, want to hold them accountable,
2: too. I, I think that tone in the online classroom is something a lot of instructors don't. You know, maybe they don't realize they have a tone issue. Sometimes mm-hmm. it comes across. You know, how we think in our heads and then how it comes across in writing may be different. And I try to remind myself that every time Josh sends me an email that, you know, that's really not what he meant. But So, so what, are, what are some ways that you can maybe advise faculty about their tone, like online, where they, you know, sometimes students read and they may think the instructor is saying one thing, but they're not meaning that.
0: Yeah, I, I try and focus on being clear and being concise, getting straight to the point and being very specific is kind of my thing with with tone also do the sandwich method. I don't know oh, if you're familiar good. with oh, the yeah. sandwich method. So it's kinda of like a positive. You're doing great in the class. I would really like you to improve in this area, but keep going and staying encouraged because I know that you can do. It. And if you need help, let me know I'm here. Yeah. So that's another method too, because you, you want them to walk away feeling yeah. positive and not broken down because you've criticized them. Right. But in the same, you know, in the same space, we again it's about them being accountable and, and doing the best that they can do.
2: When learning is You know, positive and constructive criticism. Absolutely. There's a balance.
1: Yeah, I like that. We've spent time uh, talking a little about even, you know, like uh, if you're face-to-face in a classroom, you could start early communications from the first day of class. That way your second communication with them, if it is to redirect them, it's not oh you're only getting a hold of me when I'm in trouble. Mm-hmm. Uh, same deal with the online you know environment. You go, okay respond to their biographies when they put them on the wall. Right. Let them know up front, or maybe you do a welcome call. You know the first week if you have fifteen, twenty five, fifty students. Maybe over the course of the first month, you actually leave them a voicemail. Exactly. This your instructor mm-hmm. just letting you know I'm here for you. Here's my office hours. You know it doesn't have to be a you know ten minutes per student, but just something, something. to where it opens up that communication. With them, and they know, hey, this is a real person. I can communicate with them. I can talk. And I'm sitting here. I'm thinking, Mark, I there's been so many emails to you. I'm really having a hard time identifying which ones. Wow. But maybe Kendra usually would be the great person to talk to about that,
2: given her history. It's usually the ones in upper yeah. <laughs> the uppercase. Yeah, <laughs> uppercase ones.
1: You know, when we do talk about this, so you you know, on a serious note, we're talking about the tone. Kendra, I'm curious, what are your thoughts on integrating you know humor, because. In face-to-face environments, maybe it's a little easier, but I know it can be misinterpreted as sarcasm Mm -hmm. in the online environment. So, if you have a faculty, you know we're talking about compassion, being true to who we are, and integrating our personalities into classroom. How could you do that if you are somebody who kind of likes to keep things light?
0: Yeah, and I'm definitely want to do that just because I don't want a student to get offended. Being online, it is difficult because we're not face to face, and so I'm gonna do a joke. I'm gonna do it to the whole class that way mm-hmm. it doesn't seem like I'm isolating yeah, or individualizing out, yeah. or singling mm-hmm. out a student um it just keeps everything positive i'm all about the positive energy in the classroom i like sense of humor but again it's it's to the whole class if i'm talking to the student and you know individual one on one Unless I really can kind of grasp the personality of the student, right. then I can feel comfortable. Sense of humor, you can totally do it in the classroom. It just has to be relevant. It should be appropriate. And we sh- still need to keep that professionalism there.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah no, I, would, I would agree. I think that's very important. I think
0: timing is everything with sense of humor.
1: Yeah. So you have you know, the timing and, and, and keeping it relevant so it's not just some random... Um, that always gets me... So with faculty, if, if I ever watch somebody do an activity, I always like to remind them, make sure the activity is tied to the objectives, because mm-hmm. last thing I want to do is walk in, observe a classroom and see it you know, look like a circus act and have it be nothing about the curriculum or, or type thing. So do you have any advice for faculty? Hey, they want to keep it fun. They want to integrate activities. But how do, you, how do you bring variety, but also stay on course in regards to objectives and, and you know the curriculum?
0: I'm all about being creative. I tell my students, even with their assignments, like with a PowerPoint, be creative, throw in a graphic, mm-hmm. keep that APA format and the structure of the assignment there, but let me see your personality. And I think with faculty, we need to be able to to be liberated in that that sense and, and be creative. Anything that we put in the classroom should be relevant. I mean, it really mm-hmm. should allow the student to come and, and learn something about the subject matter to kind of grow in that area. So it should be relevant and appropriate for them. Um, But I mean, YouTube uh, videos, I mean, worksheets, I do welcome announcements, I also do videos. Like I did a video right outside of John McCain's funeral and I was talking about the differences and how it's important to accept differences, even though you may like someone and you all think differently we should appreciate those differences. And I think that's the most important thing. I also did another one at the Martin Luther King March on advocacy. Mm-hmm. And so I can integrate where I am and videotape myself and put that in the classroom too as a learning tool. So, I mean, we can always be creative.
2: I love I think that. That's a nice approach. Um, you know, because many times I don't think students really take that step because they're you know, if you read the assignment directions, if you read the rubric, it kind of brings everybody into a box. And so mm-hmm. they're sometimes afraid to break out of that box, or maybe they don't think they can. Mm-hmm. But you know, those examples, you're using real-world examples and creativity to express you know, maybe the topics and objectives you're aiming for.
0: Exactly. I think mm-hmm. as students and as professionals and faculty, I think we need to get away from thinking inside that box and step out of it. Mm-hmm. And that way we can really be true to ourselves and be authentic. The more Mm -hmm. authentic you are, you'll find yourself being more comfortable in any space that you're in. And I, I want my students to have that comfort, that find that space of comfortability. And I think me being comfortable allows me to be more compassionate in the classroom and kind of finding my style of what works. So I think kind of knowing who I am, and I talked about that in the discussion forum, is one of them was on self-efficacy, kind of believing in what you, you, your abilities and your interests and what you believe in really can determine your behavior mm-hmm. and how you or what type of faculty you are in the classroom is based on what you believe with yourself. And so my question was, who do you see in your mirror? Who do you see in your own mirror? And it's a self-awareness mm-hmm. exercise and looking kind of within, gaining that insight and awareness about yourself and kind of doing that self-discovery work. That's great.
1: Yeah, I really like how – so your example is even like shown to John McKean's funeral or, or the MLK. Um, like I really like how you're integrating authentic piece of who you are, but you're not you're not getting on a soapbox and, and saying to students, hey, you need to sign up for the Republican Party. I'm down here at John – you know, it wasn't that. It wasn't, hey, you need to come march with me. It's just – obviously, you would be able to communicate that you advocate for certain things by being authentic through yourself right. and then – Taking what an extra with the video at thirty seconds to a minute or even if you went five, you know, with you know, Facebook Live or, or what have you, mm-hmm. um, your students gonna say, Wow, that's a real person on their real life. So when she's talking about this principal in class, she really believes what she's saying.
2: And I think when you enjoy yourself and you show that that makes you comfortable like you said, but then that also makes it more enjoyable for the students Absolutely.
0: as well. Mm-hmm. I think they get to know me more. Yeah. And then if they trust me by what they see then, They'll be more interested and engaged in the classroom, so it all works together. I
1: like that. When it comes to accountability, because I know that's a big one, we've talked a little about. I think there's, a, in, you know, almost like I I don't know if I want to say a fallacy, but there's, there's this perception, you know, if we allow grace, because you know we talk, I mentioned you know, I teach a servant leadership course, and this comes up a lot. So we talk about forgiveness and grace. Mm-hmm. In the business world, that can be perceived as a weakness, and so. If we're talking about holding students accountable, how do how can we balance that line? Because we we want to be authentic, we want to exercise grace. And someone's you know if they are communicate ahead of time that there's going to be issues, maybe allow don't deduct late points as you suggested. But how do we do that with holding? You know, this it's a funny word accountab- accountability. How do mm-hmm. we hold a student accountable to being prompt on time, but also grant them grace when we need to?
0: That comes from the communication that we set from the the very beginning. Like for example, if there's a student that says, you know, I I lost my father, my first sentence always is my prayers to you and your family. I will look forward to your submission. Make sure that you submit your assignments in a timely manner moving forward so you don't become overwhelmed. So I put it back on them because of course, who wants to be overwhelmed? But I also let them know moving forward, assignments are still gonna keep coming, life is gonna keep going. It's not gonna stop just because of a death in the family. So in order to protect yourself, you have to keep, you know, establishing that that work ethic and moving forward. So again, I stress that communication is being very, very important. Make sure that you get back on track from a death in the family and that you can you can move forward from it. And I'm understanding of their situation, but I also let them know about the reality of the classroom and being a student because after the grief is over, they're still going to be a student. They still want that degree, so I don't want that to go down the drain just because of a, a obstacle or a challenge yeah. in the moment.
1: That's good. I think one thing is we start to wrap up. I'm hoping we could touch on is what I'm hearing with professional development for ourselves. There's a level of personal accountability. So mm-hmm. we've spent you know a lot of time talking about the student accountability, accountability in the classroom, but faculty advisory board, all the 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 research you're talking about doing and self improvement. That how do we how do we hold ourselves accountable as faculty members? For that continuous learning, for staying relevant, for being compassionate with students, what do you what do you recommend for that?
0: That's a great question. I think we need to be aware that we need to stay growing, and that learning is a continuum. We talked about lifelong learners. We are, we all are lifelong learners. Yeah. We don't have to seek degrees when we do so, but it's about you know that personal growth. It's it's about the spiritual growth. I mean, a lot of us have that spiritual foundation, and we. You know, we pray, we go to church, we fellowship with others, and we grow in our spirituality. We have to do that with professionalism, too. Mm -hmm. We have to collaborate. We have to talk more. We have to learn about other disciplines in the university, participate in university activities, just Mm -hmm. talk to each other more. And, you know, attend a, a lot of these conferences that are available There's professional development opportunities almost every week, whether it's here or at an outside agency. I know for professional counseling, we have to do continuing education. So those CEUs are important. Mm -hmm. um, In order for us to maintain our license, we have to have like 40 hours of continuing education credit. So we're forced to do professional development. But I think faculty, we really need to put that as a priority so that we can grow in areas. You know, because this this is our life to live and I think we all should be be growing in in Mm -hmm. certain areas. It just allows us to become better overall, better spouses, better friends, better parents. It all just works together.
2: And we've talked in a lot of episodes about, you know, different technologies. I mean, there's always something new coming. There's new technology, new practices or models that we can use. Mm -hmm. So as faculty, you know, we kind of owe it to our students to take advantage of those, learn new things, and put it into our classroom.
0: Absolutely, because in the end it helps them too. Yeah. I mean, they do look for us to help them in- enhance their professional identity. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're here for them as a assistant or a support system for them. Mm-hmm. They could use us as an outlet, and so us having those tools available, knowing where to go, having those resources already there, can let them know where to go and they can be motivated in growing themselves because they see us doing it.
2: Plus it makes the class fun. Like and yeah. in some of our early episodes from season 1 we talked about becoming stagnant and if you teach the same class over and over again Very easy to do, yeah. then mm-hmm. you know those that professional developments a good way to break out of that.
1: Yeah, I would agree. Sharing best practices and even talking with people in your you know in your same college that teach the same course because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I, I think education's one of the few places professionally that it's it is more of a collaborative environment versus competitive so if i if i help better you as a colleague i'm bettering myself and it's not necessarily I'm working myself out of a job you know it's hey how can we do this to better together
0: mm-hmm. and
1: and partner up and team mm-hmm. up so that's great a lot of takeaways i mean i've been uh taking notes this whole time so i really appreciate you being here uh, Dr. Kendra Stewart, you got a lot going on. Thank you so much for being here uh, and not canceling for today. Um, Thank we're so, you so much. We're I had so a great excited. time. Yeah, we, we enjoyed we, it. Yeah, and so we'll go ahead and wrap things up for today. My name is Joshua Sagar. This has been Teaching Tips. And I'm Mark Trellinger.
0: This has been an episode of Teaching Tips. Thanks for listening in today. Join us next week as we continue our survey of effective educational practices.